So I decided to start, you know, just you know, exploring Islam and meeting Muslims. And I was free to do that, right? Uh, we don't need a voice to tell us to go meet people and have conversations about truth with them. I just thought I'd try it. Hey, I'm Shay. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to the Pantry Podcast. We're serving up Jesus, not junk food, for followers of Christ who don't want to just exist, but be challenged, sifted, and changed by the Word of God. And this is Season 10, Go and Tell. And we're digging into the first half of the Great Commission to embolden you to share God's Word during these tumultuous times. Join us and friends from 77 countries as we feast on spiritual nutrition. You can even be a partner that keeps the show going. Support the show at patreon.com slash thepantrypodcast. Now let's dig into the meal. Hey, what's up? Hi. Man, it's exciting to be here. Go figure. You you kind of have to do that every I, I time I think I now. have to, so like, that's my even tag. If, even if it's nothing else. It's yet. so basic. It's like probably the, the worst tag in the whole world, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like, whatever, it's a tag. It's endearing it's a to tag. me. Because it is. It really is. I, I do enjoy sitting down, having conversations, whether it's with you or whether it's with a guest. But yeah. man, one thing that is really awesome is that all the people that are out there watching um, from around the world, which yeah. is kind of where we're going at in the season, yes. we're definitely looking at, you know, missions and and sharing the gospel and different ways to share the gospel and and I think that there are some really cool ways that people are doing this yeah. um, I really when it, I go back it always takes me to mark where it says and he said to them go on into all of the world and share the gospel it's all that word all has been really on my focal point it's like sometimes we sit there and say well I don't associate to them I don't know them I don't understand them maybe you have a stigma that that stops you from talking to them and I think that we have to understand that when we're talking about hapas right that Greek word we're talking about everyone a whole like all doesn't mean we stop at some place. Now that doesn't mean that we're all called to the same thing or we're all called right. to the same, you know, mission field, but it means that we go into all the world. And today I think we have a really awesome guest that is definitely doing that. Um, and I'll just let you roll from there. Yeah, so we have an awesome guest today. His name is James Raymond, and he was born in England, but he's lived in Seattle for 10 years with his wife and their five children. And since 2012, he's been building relationships with Muslims in Seattle and around the world. And because of this ministry, he founded the Al-Maida Initiative, a Christian nonprofit that equips the church to understand and communicate better with Muslims on a range of religious, political, and worldview issues. And his goal is to create genuine friendships without shying away from the exclusivity of Jesus's message. And we want to welcome James to the show. Welcome. Yeah, welcome, brother. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Good to have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this topic. It's uh, it's deeper than some might think in 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 what is in the bio, you know, without right. shying away from the exclusivity of Jesus's message, because sometimes we feel that pressure to, you know, throw people a bone, even though they're saying there's another way other than Jesus. So can you tell us a little bit more about the initiative and how you kind of got started with it? So basically, um, I grew up in England, which is a very secular country for the most part. I grew up in a Christian home and just kind of always assumed it till I hit the age 13 and actually started asking some more serious questions and actually started reading the Bible for myself and actually gained the conviction that all the Bible is true. Right. And part of that was the sort of necessity to share that with others. And uh, being in a British public school as a teenager is not the easiest place to come to that conviction. Uh, there are definitely harder places. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I got made fun of a lot. I got a lot of difficult questions and had to learn how to um, 
defend what I believed. And when I moved to America, I moved out here to intern for a church and I found myself living in a bit of a bubble. Uh, Seattle's not an especially Christian city, but most of the people I knew were Christians and I wasn't used to that. So what I did have is an opportunity to listen to a lot of audio while I worked. So I decided to listen through the Book of Mormon first because I'd run into those guys a bunch. Um, and then once I got through that, I decided to listen to the Islamic source materials. So I went through the Quran, and uh, which you know isn't actually that long. It's actually about um, the length of the four Gospels put together. Mm. Uh, and uh, but most Muslims get a lot of their information about Muhammad um, sort of vaguely from a place called the Hadith, which is this, like collection of encyclopedias of everything he said and did categorized into topics. So I decided to listen through the two largest ones of those for Sunni Muslims, Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, and then just became convicted. It was a very academic exercise. I didn't actually know any Muslims in Seattle. So why was I consuming all this information? So I decided to crash the Muslim Student Association at the University of Washington, walked in really awkwardly partway through one of the meetings um, and it was super awkward because everybody saw me come in. The door was behind the speaker. But one guy waved me over, offered me a seat, invited me back, and I just kept going back and have just and just kind of ended up going for the next six years. And um, in that time, there were a good amount of interfaith events on campus, uh, but they're always really frustrating to me because what they do is they'd have um, 45 minutes of programming. You'd have five speakers on a stage, and they'd find that five blandest, least offensive people you could possibly find <laughs> and have them talk about nothing for the entire time. And you get 10 minutes to talk to people at your table and you'd be hurried out of the room, right? That was, that was my experience with interfaith events. Um, but my conversations were always fun. It was, it, they, they were substantial without being standoffish for the most part. And this all came to a head in 2014 when I was invited to an interfaith event on campus uh, but this time, the organizers forgot to show up to it, and it ends up having a terrible turnout being me and five Muslims in a room for an hour and a half. So instead of this canned curriculum of how do we all be Americans together when I'm foreign and so are most of them, they just start asking me, well, how can you believe that Jesus is God and man at the same time? And uh, how can you trust that the Bible is you know, accurately preserved after 2,000 years? And after answering those questions, this girl called Zara said, you know, I really want to go to church sometime, but my Christian friend never invites me. Mm. So I said, what? Well, my wife and I go, come with us. In fact, you guys should all come, make it like an interfaith field trip. <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, sounds good. Wasn't really expecting anything to happen. But three days later, the official MSA Facebook page invited all their people to come to church with me. Wow. And we had 50 Muslims RSVP as being interested. Now, that doesn't, yeah, it's not the same in real life, right? RSVPs right. don't always reflect reality, but we still had 13 Muslims come to church wow. that Sunday and we got lunch afterwards and we just had uh, tremendous conversations. Mm. So so the idea of what Al-Maida is, right? Al-Maida is an, an Arabic word that means a table full of food and conversation. Mm. So the idea is that it's entirely possible for Christians and Muslims to be able to sit down in a friendly setting over food and talk about, life's most important issues without compromising what we believe or um or by being enemies we can be we can have friendly honest conversations about truth wow 
I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I go back and I think it's kind of cool how your upbringing brought you to a position to be able to speak to this. Uh, you know, you sit there and you say that you're in England, you know, it's tough, it's in school and you're defending your faith. Uh, I think we should we should kind of look at that, because when we're talking about the season that we're in and we're talking about, you know, sharing the word of God and the gospel. What does that look like in your eyes when you sit there and you say you defend faith? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are like that when you say defend your faith, there's like a thousand things that go through yeah. their mind of how you would do that. What would be something that was instilled in you early about defending your faith? So, so firstly, like we're, we're actually commanded in the Bible to give a defense for the faith that's within us. Right. That, that people say, oh, you should, you know shouldn't feel like you have to defend it. You shouldn't have to, you know, give any answers, just, you know, be nice. No, 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 no. Actually tells us always be prepared to give a defense for the, for the faith, right? That's there. You yeah. have to do it with gentleness and respect. Um, so it is, it is that. So I think the time we're in now, um, I think one of the things I've, I've, I've learned, um, and, I, and I credit a lot of this to a, reasonably controversial figure called Douglas Wilson. Um, he's an excellent debater. Uh, and one of the things I think I learned from him is you sh- as a Christian, you should have no problem passages. And what I've learned by looking at the culture here in Seattle, which is generally unchristian, is as a Christian, most people are expecting two reactions from you. They're, the first reaction they're expecting is, you know, if they disagree with you, is anger. It's like, oh, how dare you? Right, kind of reaction. And then the other reaction is just kind of a meek sort of embarrassment about what you believe, right? Those are the, those are the two reactions people are expecting, but what they're not expecting is friendly, jolly <laughs> honesty, right? So for example, um, I, I, well, I learned to respond to questions like this. So somebody will come to me and say, Are you one of those Christians that takes the Bible literally? <laughs> my, res- my response will be, well, I know there's there's metaphors and poetry in the Bible, but for the sake of argument, all the, all the parts you think are crazy, I take literally. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know, so um, I think as Christians, we're, our lives are to be marked by joy, right? And we should have a joyful confidence and, you know, an unashamedness about what we believe and be prepared to answer questions in that way. And if you, if you come against the question you don't know the answer to, that's completely understandable, but go learn the answer to that. So next time somebody brings it up, you're ready to give a defense for what you didn't know before. And you can do it in a way that's confident and jolly and full of joy and inviting to the people around you. I I like that. Especially when you said, go back, look at it. In, In other words, you're out there with people. Mm-hmm. And you're learning at the same time. It, it, you know, we sometimes we sit here in our, our in our atmospheres and we're like, until I'm ready, until I'm ready. But I've learned that like you just have to get out there and just do it. Yeah. In fact, I had an atheist once tell me he was like, just tell me the truth. Like, stop trying to climb a ladder up my backside and bring Jesus to my, you know, bring me to Jesus. Just just tell me what you believe and state it. But with confidence. And like you said, I like the word jolly. That's that's, that's a really cool way to put it, because we should love what what God has done in our lives and what Christ has done. Yeah. So if someone else is like, I'm going to go do that, too. What are some of the things that they might trip over or that might be um, pitfalls like? the whole episode's title is Conversation Without Compromise, right? 
well, there's a lot of pitfalls into compromise that a Christian can make trying to be agreeable, trying to be kind. Mm. Um, so kind of can you speak to that a little bit? Like what are some of the things you would kind of warn or advise people of when they go out into situations like this? So I think if we're, if we're having the attitude of being, you know, jolly. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the, the, uh, the, the sort of warping of that is kind of being a troll mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Right. Um, we're not trying to make fun of anybody. Right. right? We're not trying to um, belittle anybody with that. And, and there is a time and a place where you've got to have, you know, a serious and stern conversation with mm-hmm. the person. Right. And you have to have a category yeah. for that. Right. So um, let your approach be informed by the entirety of scripture, mm-hmm. not just, you know, one part. But the, the other, the other, but the pitfall of, you know, being stern and serious sometimes is, you know, we see these stern, serious moments and then we try and make that the rule for every encounter yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So any, any kind of methodology or thought process or philosophy you're using is always dangerous unless you're rooted in the whole counsel of God, right? right. Everything God has said in his word and, and be informed by all of it. That's really good. Thank that you. That is good. Uh, and I'm going to carry this in because yeah. I think, I think that we, we, you know, we're, we're going there, but how did, you know, you have a ministry, you have this ministry, beautiful ministry. I've been, I've been checking out a lot of things. <laughs> of course, my favorite title is pig wars, but I'm sorry. I, there, there's a <laughs> lot of other things. I've even looked at the, um, what is that? Fixing the free state conversation. Um, uh, I forget his name. Uh, uh I boss. Yeah. I boss. <laughs> Maybe I just couldn't pronounce it, but, but, <laughs> but uh, but I've been looking at all your stuff, but there's, there's always this conviction. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, I'm looking at Paul as he walks into Athens. Right. And he has this, like he, his spirits provoked. It's like, wait, he sees all of these things. He's like, wait, I need to, you know, I need to, and he goes into the Jewish synagogue and he starts to reason. And then of course it carries on into the, uh, what are those things called? The Were they, Parthenons. The, the or, Parthenons or whatever, yeah. where he starts talking to everybody. What was that provoking of spirit? And how did that conversation look while you were talking with the spirit? Mm-hmm to the ministry that you're doing now? So honestly, um, for me, it actually started more or less as just sort of an intellectual assessment. Okay. Like a, a, lot, a lot of people have this moment of, this is my thing, this is what I have to do. But I would say that mine was nothing like that, actually. Um, my, what, what happened to me is just, I just assessed my gifts looked at the needs in the world and the church, and I saw that Islam was the largest non-Christian worldview on the planet, right? So I was getting quite good at being able to articulate the Bible to people who didn't believe it and, and, and kind of answer people's questions. Uh, but there were, there's, also, there's so many ministries reaching out to atheists and agnostics, and I've got nothing against any of that. But I wanted to figure out where my gifts were going to be most useful to God's people as a whole. So I decided to start, you know, just, you know, exploring Islam and meeting Muslims. And I was free to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need a voice to tell us to go meet people and have conversations about truth with them. I just thought I'd try it. Right. And then, 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 then retrospectively, I see God use that to, um, you know, open all these doors that have just led me to these amazing places. And I've seen God show up so clearly. But it didn't start with me kind of getting this sense of, okay, this is exactly what God wants me to do. I see that later. <laughs> and I think often that's what, how God works yeah. is that he doesn't, he doesn't explicitly always tell us, Hey, go do this thing. Um, often we do things in faith and initiative without having to wait for something specific. 
and as as we're in the way, God redirects us and directs us, and uh, and then and shows up as we act in faith. And that's what it was like for me. I, I like that um, open doors. Yeah, walking through open doors. I remember when she walked in and said, "Hey, we're gonna let's do a podcast." And I'm sitting in the kitchen. There wasn't no awe moment. It was like, uh, okay. And, and then from there, you see a bunch of things. But I, I, I'm gonna hit that intellectual portion real quick because I, as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this, and you said you had studied the Quran, and then you moved over into Muhammad's um, studies as well. Did you find those to be difficult to 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 you know, when you're reading through them and like, cause there's, it seems like you picked up on it pretty fast and pretty easy to where you could just start to have conversations with people. Is that really how it worked or was it difficult to go through it? Was it easy to do comparatives to the Bible? How was that? So I, I found it pretty easy because, um, there's a, there's a guy called James Harleman who wrote a book called cinema Uh, and what he does is he does, you guys should interview him actually. He's great. Um, but he does kind of, um, movie reviews from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. right? And what he's teaching people to do is examine the worldviews of the content they're watching, yeah. right? And figure out, okay, what's the actual worldview behind this movie? Because, you know, a lot of Christians have this surface level approach to, you know, uh, you know, media. It's like, oh, there's violence in it. It's bad. Okay, but what's the Old Testament has violence in it. What's the worldview behind the violence, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is, the, is the movie saying that violence is great or is the movie trying to make a point that violence leads to this, you know, desperate cycle, right? Mm-hmm. It, you you got to think deeply about it. So because I kind of consumed a lot of his content and had a lot of interaction with him, I basically took that mindset into reading the Islamic mm-hmm. sources that I, was, I wasn't just looking at it as, like, okay, these are the bad things and everything in it is bad. How do I find it's bad? I'm looking at something as made by image bearers of God which has, you know, good things, bad things, um, you know, wrong ideas and ideas that are going to inadvertently point to the gospel that are useful frameworks for having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. So um, I found you know, a good amount of that and, and, and it helped me learn to talk to people in their own terms to make them better understand what Christians believe. We have everybody has like that group in their mind that they're kind of scared of at first when they come like scared of sharing the gospel to whether it's for violence or rejection or they don't think they'll know the answers to or anything like that. But did you have any initial perceptions that kind of made it intimidating or were, are you the type of person who that wasn't really an issue for you when you were deciding to go to that group of people? Honestly, I think the. Um the, the the parts that would make it intimidating actually were part of the appeal for me, yeah. honestly. Um, but I think, yeah, that should, I, I think basically my conception of Islam before I started really meeting Muslims and reading the material was that true Islam is inevitably violent. So like the ISIS types, the Al Qaeda types, they're the, people who are actually following the source materials properly and the you know, the normal Muslims who are peaceful are just the people who are not interacting with the source material at all. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being a very, you know, cartoonish understanding of, you know, of, of how it all works. But that was that. And I think that understanding that I had is the understanding that a lot of Christians have because right in a Protestant Christian framework, um, everything we believe is based on the text of scripture Right. Yeah. And we have a book that we read. We get all our information about Jesus from that book. And we assume that it works the same way in Islam. It really doesn't. So that was kind of my misconception going in. Yeah. 
Can you elaborate a yeah, little bit more elab- on that? Because okay. I think a lot of people might that like that might have wet their palate a little. Like, okay, well, tell me like a little bit more about what how it actually works for them. Okay, so that's how it actually works, right? The Quran is only considered the Quran when it's in something called uh, Fusha, which is like the formal dialect of Arabic. But it's even then, it's not like modern Fusha. It's like this, you know, old form that the average, even the average Arab is not going to have an easy time reading and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only considered the Quran when it's like that, right? Yeah. So people are not necessarily encouraged to read the Quran in their own language. And even if you do, the Quran doesn't have a narrative to it, mm-hmm. right? It's the, the ch- surahs or chapters are all just, all just kind of like longest to shortest. Um, and they don't contain their own context with them. So a lot of the context for them is in the Hadith, right? Which is, again, a, a collection of encyclopedias, mm. uh, of, a collection of sayings from Muhammad's uh, categorized by how reliable they're considered c- categorized by topics. And there's something called Tafsir literature that uh, is, it kind of ties them all together. But what you're going to find is that in Islam, there isn't an emphasis on individual discernment of these things. It actually be a discouragement of digging into the depths of these things, unless you're directly connected to scholarship, because they believe you can go astray very easily if you're not properly connected to a scholar, right? So the argument one Muslim scholar um, called Sheikh Yasakadi makes is like the average Muslim is not qualified to go to the Quran and the Sunnah themselves, um, because it's like being a you know, if you're not a medical doctor, you don't just open up a book and prescribe yourself medicine. You have to go to the experts, right? right? So the authority in the life of the average Muslim is supposed not supposed to be the texts, right? Um, which, you know, are put together a number of different ways by a number of different scholars, but the scholars themselves, the community itself is supposed to be the authority in the life of the average Muslim. Mm. And so what that means is it's not even just like scholars who fill that role, but uh, parents, teachers, friends, family, that the average Muslim does not have a view they've read in a book, but it's been kind of like radiated into them, their own life um, uh, from all these people around them like this, like, you know, an open source software on the internet kind of thing. That's just a lot of people are pouring into that. Um, So, and there's lots of different ways to kind of construct that and, the problem in the Muslim world is not that it, the Islamic texts are innately violent in and of themselves, or there's certainly some violent things in some segments of that, but that if, if the Taliban are following one set of scholars, um, the only appeal someone else has is, well, that's not real Islam because this, our scholars say that it's not real Islam. Mm-hmm. The Taliban say, well, our scholars say that it is real Islam. And they'll say, well, your scholars aren't the real scholars. No, your scholars aren't the real scholars, right? And there's nobody there to uh, basically kind of tell everyone, okay, no, no, this is the real thing, right? It's all Mm community-based. Right, so Shiite, Sunni, Ismaili, you work it all down. So uh, maybe I could just add this and tell me if I'm wrong because I'm not perfect on this, (laughs) but it's like a commentary. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not in the word. Like, like, like if, if for someone listening to this, understanding it within biblical terms, they're, they're not in the Bible, but they're in the commentaries of someone who had written something about the Bible. Is that kind of how I'm getting that ish ish? That's the, that's, 
if, if they're reading the commentaries, they're still a step ahead. Oh, of wow. Most people. Okay. Right. So it's communal. Imagine, so it's just what they say. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. It, it's more like, um, somebody who goes to church their whole life has never read the Bible or any Christian books, mm. but it's just, you know, they've heard things from the pulpit. Right. They've heard things from, you know, their Christian grandma, you know, yeah. they, you know, it's like, Oh, when you, the Bible says, when God, Closes the window, he opens a door. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Things like that. Now, can I? Can I? I, I'm going to say this. Can I put it into a Catholic idea? Yes. Okay. I I think because Catholic that that kind of hits me that they you know a lot of Catholics. Now I'm not saying there's not the ones out there that get into it, but I'm saying a lot of that is communal as well. They show up to church or, or or mass and and you know the person talks and that's what they're encouraged to do. They're not encouraged to go to the word. They're more encouraged to listen to the person who's in the authoritative spot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's that's a great analogy. So think of Islam in some ways as Catholicism, but without a pope. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because there, because there used to be that this kind of central religious figure, the religious and political figure, um, who would kind of keep the scholars in line, but um, there hasn't. There's now not been one for 98 years since uh, 1924. Mm. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that is a long time. I, I, and I guess I'm going to take it a little far. I like to hear wins, and I like to hear like what's your what is a good win. Yeah. That you've seen in your ministry or, or even if it's not like, OK, yeah, they came to Christ, but like something where it was just an impactful moment uh, where you were sitting down with people because you sit down with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just I'm telling you, I, I'm eating up your website. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's really cool. It's cool to see that people are having conversations and they don't necessarily agree. And I think that the reason I'm so excited about that and, and seeing that is because I've traveled the world. I've been around the world. I've been in the military. There's things that I didn't always agree with and people that I didn't always agree with, but I always had that opportunity to take the moments to sit down and kind of walk in their shoes and see how they're going through communities. So what are some really cool wins and maybe some defeats if, if you want to share those? Um, so, so, um, I give you, I give you this, you know, I think one win about a year ago, um, I had three different people reach out to me in some form or another in, in a single week, which is very rare. Um, so it started with a message from a couple of the church here. And what happened is there's a Somali woman living in South Seattle and she, she had a dream where she's lifted out the roof of her house by, uh, this mysterious figure. And she starts hearing, you know, thousands of voices saying, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah which is not a word she knew. And the voice says to her, uh, Fatima, you are living in darkness and I want to bring you into the light. Mm. I want to save you. Uh, and she wants to ask, but can't get the words out. Who are you? And then in hundreds of voices suddenly respond, Isa al-Masiha, Isa al-Masiha, which means Jesus the Messiah. And then she's lowered down the roof of, through the roof of her house and she's yeah, and she's asked, and then she's told, you need to go and read the Bible now. So she starts reading the Bible and praying for the next... She reached out to her Christian friends. They start reading the Bible with her for the next six weeks, start praying with her. And after six weeks, she says, every time I pray to Jesus, I know he's listening. Every time I read this, I know he's speaking. Hmm. Uh, I am a Christian. That's what I am. Right. Hmm. Um, then, you know, 
two days later, uh, this Iranian couple reaches out to me via text message to a friend, say, hey, we heard about what you do. We need to, you know, we're considering being Christians. Can we have a conversation with you? And then, and then three days later, this, you know, Arab lady comes to my house and she's in this, you know, huge mental health crisis and, um, you know, need, need some help. And then, yeah, so we kind of go get her meds, we go get snacks and I get back to the house and she says, can I ask you a question? It's like, sure, of course. She says, can I come to church with you? It's like, of course. It's like, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. I know it's not true. I want to be a Christian. I want to convert to Christianity. I'm like, wow. okay, <laughs> well, you know, wow. honestly, slow down a little bit. Let's <laughs> make sure you actually, you know, you know, make sure you actually believe this. And, you know, that honestly, that, that specific situation ended up getting significantly more complicated. Right. But, you know, the first two have been great. Um, and, but by kind of being a consistent presence in the community, people come seek you out when they need things. Right. Right. And, and, and so kind of becoming this sort of trusted element in people that they know that I'm not trying to trick people. They know they're not putting pressure on people. Mm. And that means that we kind of become trustworthy to people. So like recently we do is Ramadan right now. And we always host, you know, dinners in Ramadan and we had a Muslim lady bring another Muslim lady because this Muslim lady had questions about Christianity. Mm. And this Muslim lady said, these, these Christians are nice and honest and friendly, and they can answer your questions about Christianity. Mm. So we have other Muslims bringing Muslims with questions to us because they trust us. Um, they know we're not going to take advantage of people. They know we're not going to pressure people, manipulate people. And we know they, we love them no matter what. So that kind of consistent culture where people trust us is, is one of the greatest wins we can have. Wow. I love wow. that because sometimes we hear, there's always so many arguments and so many, there's so many people like weighing in on things. And one of the things that um, you hear sometimes is in trying to be people's friend, they kind of omit a lot of Christ and then they end up with a ton of friends that don't know Christ. And what I'm seeing here is you because of your solid solidity in scripture and your mm. and your complete convincement that that is the truth that is the way that is the life you're able to go into the community without compromising any of that answer the questions with love and joy without feeling threatened by their unbelief i think sometimes we get threatened by unbelief and we get defensive in the wrong ways but then you become without assimilating in to their beliefs, you assimilate in just by decency and love. And so through that, it's like a lubricant that allows the truth to actually come into the conversation in almost a disarming way. Um, what's a soft words, turn away anger. Right. Um, I, I think that is one of the key takeaways from everything you're doing from the fruits of your labor that then they know you're the one they can come to. Mm. Sometimes people hear about apologetics. I remember <clears throat> me, I thought apologetics was the way to get brainy people to Christ. And then I realized it only helps them when they're ready and hungry for answers. Something else has already been working in them. And then apologetics can help them make sense of some things. But if they aren't interested, apologetics does nothing but create a debate. And that's kind of what I see here. You have the apologetics, 
but that's not what you're wielding as your sword. You're wielding love and grace as your sword. And then when they have the ants, I mean, when they have the questions, you're, you're bringing the answers. And that's, that's very key. Um, for when people are considering, you know, consciously making any effort, whether it's a long term or someone's knocking at your door right now. Right. I think sometimes we forget that one of the, <laughs> the swords <laughs> is availability. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that it's, it's kind of like in some of the things that we do, if we're more available downtown, the kids start to know you. The kids start to I have kids sometimes come up. I need to get back out there. Wintertime is rough up here. <laughs> like, like Seattle. It's like because I do a lot of outdoor, but it's like the more available. And, I, and I'm watching that you're just becoming available to that community. Um, and so it's not just everything that I'm talking about. Oh, online, I saw this and online, I saw this. But you're actually out there in this community. Um, and what does that day to day look like? Um, like you have dinners. What else? What else do you guys do to get out into the community and be available for people? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So a lot of that is just um, one-on-one relationships. Mm-hmm. And so what we're, what we're really trying to do is actually equip churches to be able to do this themselves, right? Uh, we're not trying to build this giant pyramid of ministry under us. Yeah. We're trying to help the local church on a wide scale normalize friendship and conversations with Muslims and understand and be able to communicate to the Muslim worldview, Right. But we can't do that if we're not involved in ourselves, right? So we're meeting people, talking, becoming friends, learning. Um, so a lot of my time is spent um, like writing curriculum, making curriculum to train churches. Some of the time is spent training churches. Some of it's spent coaching people from churches. And then a lot of time spent like meeting individual Muslims. Events for me are a means to an end. Um, the only thing I really want to achieve by events is having Christians and Muslims meet each other and normalizing the conversation. The real meat of what we do is in the sort of behind the scenes relationships mm-hmm. rather than the public ones, because it's difficult to, in a public setting, it's often hard to figure out what someone really believes, what they're really struggling with, what they really need. So those individual relationships are key. We're also trying to import an Afghan church, but that's a little tangential to what we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us about that because I, mean, I, I know that we had spoken on that in our pre-interview, but uh, tell us a little bit more about what that that is, what's happening there. So basically, there's about five thousand Afghans in Seattle right now, and we were helping churches welcome some of these. And because of that, there's uh, somebody uh, called Richard reached out to us because of a situation he knew of about 130 Afghan Christians stuck in a refugee camp in Abu Dhabi. Mm. So we're trying to uh, bring those Afghan Christians from Abu Dhabi to Seattle and start, start an Afghan church here. Um, don't know if that will work, but that's that's one thing we spent a lot of time on this last year. Well, we'll definitely have that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, no, for that's sure. very cool. That's very cool. Like, and that's what that's another part of this is you already said like it's not just a beamed vision from heaven of what you were supposed to do. You just kind of went out and and you're walking with God and he's directing your steps until you figure it out. And then another thing is the tangentialness of it all. Like there's a lot of different things going on. None of them need to be the defining factor because the defining factor, the means to the end is leading people to Christ, you know, and the, and trusting the availability. Um, because like you said earlier on about when you were in a group of people, it was five Muslims and you and the event kind of 
by worldly definition was a failed event because not a lot of people came and no one and the like the, the the prescribed conversation didn't happen. But in the eternal it was a total success. And sometimes we can self defeat before we even do anything by just saying, "Oh, that would never work." You know, creating an event that would that Muslims wouldn't even come. You know, and. I think that that's us saying God's plan would not even work before it even starts. And over and over in your story, like that's what I'm hearing is, is things that people would say that would never work or be surprised that works. That's they're receptive. They, they come to you. They, they text you. And when you're, when you're thinking about the great commission, sometimes you do the safe thing and it's not that God doesn't work in that, but you do the safe thing, not because that's what you feel like led to do, but because you think everything else won't work. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Open, open doors is what I'm hearing. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of like we, you, brother, in the last year, we have been through so many doors and then you're thinking like, oh, this is the direction. And then it like poof, closes yeah. and you get redirected, though, and it's into something beautiful. And and that's the kind of story I keep seeing. It's like I didn't just have this like aha moment and man, it was like oh, I started and I just kept walking. And I think that that's important in our Christian walk as well, that, you know, our eyes are focused on Christ. Um, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the truth of Christ. Um, I think sometimes we leave that out in, in Western uh, religion. We forget about that. Sometimes we have to speak truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I love your story. I love what you've been doing. Uh, and, and your family's involved in this as, yeah. as well. Um, and I think you, it looked yeah. like you had something else to say. So I'm going to let you grow. You got, you got something to say on what she was saying? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think. You know, we do have a core mission as the Almeida Initiative, which is to facilitate friendship and conversations through local churches and Muslims. But as we just kind of, we, we really believe in pursuing the things God puts right in front of us and seeing where they go. So I've been to several Muslim countries now, but I never like set out saying, okay, I'm gonna, I want to go to this place, I'm going to go to this place. But as we've invested in people here, it's just ended up like taking us to different places yeah. because of people that we believe God wanted us to invest in that he put in our path. And as we did that, it just, you know, took us to different places in the world. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You've got to, you've got to have, you can, it's good to have a plan. You've got to, got to, got to have space for, uh, God to shake your plans up sometimes mm-hmm. and throw things and respond and, and to be nimble enough to respond to the things that are put in front of you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on one more thing because a lot of the times people think, I guess maybe it's an American thing, but this very entrepreneurial spirit that people have in America Mm -hmm. where to be an event, to do evangelism, I need to have a ministry. I need to start my own ministry. And then you end up, I mean, I'm not going to insult it by saying you're building up your own kingdom because a lot of people are doing it for the right reason. But you end up building like a little silo and you're the only one in it. Maybe you and your your immediate family. But I know that the Almeida Initiative has other people involved. And so I wanted to give you the space to kind of share on what what are some of their reasons for joining? Like, how did they find and what like why and how did you build a team um, because some people, they get, they get out there and they start doing something and then it's almost like they're doing a church outside of the local church with all the things they're trying to manage on their own. And that's another common issue when people get really gung-ho about evangelism. So I think there's, I actually think there's two sides to this ditch. And I think, um, part of the, um, 
so, so, so there's the, the other side of the ditch, right. That I experience a lot in, um, in ministry to Muslims is there's this really arbitrary sense of, okay, we all want to come together under the exact same banner and do the exact same thing <laughs> and use the exact same uh, materials. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to find what works best. Right. And then, and then do that. Yeah. Um, but that's not biblical unity. Right. Right. Biblical unity is this one body with, with many parts. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyone who's doing evangelism needs to understand that God's main vehicle for uh, redeeming the world is a local church, not your organization, right? Not your little, right. not your little institutional personality. Mm-hmm. And we're there to, you know, serve others, right? Um, but God's made us to function in unique ways to do that. So, um, for some people, starting their own thing with their own voice is is going to be the best possible thing because there's going to be ways that God uses. Like we both have a podcast, right? Yeah. And it's good that there's more than one Christian podcast because God uses lots of different voices to reach lots of different people. Right. So if you're outside of an organization um, and you want to start your own, then you've got to think, okay, is this going to be the best way I can serve the body possible, mm-hmm. or is there something else that um, I could join. Um, if you're the leader of an organization, you want to make sure that you are not just conforming the people God has right. given you to be, you know, miniature versions of you. So the other people in our organization, I, I do my very best to invest in them in a way that they are and it's shaping them to be who God has designed them to be, not just, mm. not just me and help them find their own, their own ministry. Right. And if, if one of my people says, uh, okay, I don't think I want to be with Almeida anymore. I want to go to a Central Asian culture um, and use different branding or just go to a different U.S. city and do a similar thing with a slightly different style. Then I'll send them out with joy and celebration and hope for the best yeah, I in them. Right. Not um, So all of us have to fight not to be about our own kingdom, but to try and have some sort of sober assessment of how we're going to serve God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I liked it. So there are leaders. That, that was a good one for the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're blessed to be in a church with with uh, headship that that supports us in our own endeavor. Because you know, I, I hear from a lot of people a lot of times that they don't have that. That you know, their pastors shut them down or don't listen to them. It's like I, the individual voice. God has given us all a way to share. I love your initiative. I love what you're doing in the community. I am so thankful that you would even honor us to be on the show mm-hmm. and come on, uh, that we could share this with other people. We will definitely link. Oh yeah, it'll the, all be in the, the sources. I'm interested in seeing your curricu- curriculum. Curriculum. So <laughs> so that would be kind of cool. Because uh, again, I think that we we walk in different directions. We always look at different things and we see where God's going to take us. And we kind of just keep an open mind. Okay, Lord, use me. Mm-hmm. And thank you for that. Is there any parting shots that you'd want to give people uh, besides the, that that whole idea that hey, get out there and do it? The input of others is is valuable, right? But you don't need a voice from heaven telling you to go and do this mm-hmm. because you already have that. Right. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, right? We already have that. So you also don't need a person's permission, right? You should be in a local church. You should be submitted to the eldership of a local church, but it's not their job to 
you know, micromanage you and say, hey, go share the gospel with your friends. You can go do that. Right. You don't, you can go to a different, you know, you can go into a mosque, you can go into, you know, a social club, you can go into all these, into a coffee shop and, you know, meet people and have conversations about truth with them. And you don't need anyone to go tell you that. And um, if, you, if it doesn't work, you've done nothing wrong. Mm. But if you start taking some risks, you start stepping out in faith, you have no idea the amazing ways God can show up as you do that, right? And I think so many people are stuck just in a silo waiting for God to tell them to go do something that he's already told them to do. And if they go out and do that, then they're going to encounter God's presence in a way that is magical. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Um, We will have all the links on how you can connect with James and the Almeida Initiative in the show notes, and you can get that at thepantrypodcast.com. So thank you so much, James. Till next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the show. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and catch other great shows on the Edify app, Spark Radio, Uplifted, and Eternity Ready Radio.